Hold on while I try to get my glasses off and then, oh, there we go. That worked out better than normal. <laughs> I will, uh, I'll take credit for the uh, Father's Day title, the Barbecue Burger Extravaganza. That was uh, Holy Spirit Insight this week because I was thinking about it, what to call it. I'm like, let's make it really sound like lots of hyperbole, Hyper or is it hyperbole, whatever. <laughs> um, anyways, we, we are excited for that. And I want to mark that day, dads, because you can bring you and your families for a burger or a hot dog. We're going to have hot dogs and uh, we'd love to uh, just give that to you free of charge. Let your friends know. It's going to be great. And let's pray for good weather because it would be, it's going to be such a phenomenal opportunity just to bless people. So uh, I should note too that uh, Aletta uh, Holstein's uh, um, you know them just outside of Lamarck. They've actually agreed to donate all the meat for this for, with us. So uh, just a huge, huge blessing that they, uh, they're partnering with us. So we want to just bless the community. Um, a note too, I don't, Russ, maybe I'm sure you may have heard, but uh, for those of you who don't know, Floyd McClung, who was instrumental actually in starting, the, the starting of Love's Door Zambia, uh, mentored Dan, um, he was, since 2016, he had a, an infection that basically put him into a kind of semi-coma state for the last five years where he, he was conscious but couldn't communicate. Um, I think it was two days ago, the Lord finally took him home. And so, um, just wanted to share that there, there's a variety of people who are connected to Floyd McClung. He, he was an amazing, amazing man who, had a huge impact around the world. In fact, when I was reading his obituary, I didn't realize the just the impact he had even in, in Asia in the 70s on the hippie trail, him and his wife, like, like just phenomenal, phenomenal in, um, impact for the gospel. And so, and he was close to a lot of the people in Zambia as well. All right. So, we're, uh, we're talking, we're in the gospel of John again this morning. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe... Some of you dads feel like this too, but I feel like I literally spend half my life going around our house shutting off lights. Like it's so ridiculous sometimes where I'm like, why am I just consistently turning off lights after my kids? And I was, I was commenting about this to Jess one day lately. I'm like, like I said, I'm just, I'm, like I was like, I'm tired of this. And then a couple of days after that, I happened to see someone on Twitter, someone retweeted it, I think, but a dad said, he's like, I think I spent about 40% of my life turning off lights. And I'm like, okay, like I finally, I'm understood. I'm like, I finally, I'm not alone in this world when it comes to turning off lights. And you know, joking aside, I'm like, kids, I don't understand why you can't turn off lights. And I don't know, maybe I was like that too as a kid. I don't know. I don't think I was, but I probably was. <laughs> Anyways, we're, we're spending time in the Gospel of John, and we're looking at these seven I am statements of Jesus. Statements that reveal incredible truth about who Jesus is and help us to see him for all that he is. And I believe that was Jesus' intent too in this, is that he was saying these things so that the people and us, that we would see him for everything that he is. And, and hopefully this vision, that vision comes into focus this morning as we look at Jesus' claim, I am the light of the world. The statement that, you know, when you think about that statement that Jesus makes, it's, it's either total hubris, like it's just full of arrogance and pride. Like who are you to say that? Or it's staggering truth. 
Like this is one of those things where when C.S. Lewis said, like, you know, you can't just chalk Jesus up to a good teacher. Like, sorry, he actually doesn't leave you with that option, right? Like he's either like absolutely insane, he's actually the devil himself, or he is God. And that, that's what C.S. Lewis said out of stuff like this. But, but like all these I am statements in John's gospel, they're, they're uncompromising. And they, they leave us with a definitive choice. Will we believe and will we respond to these claims? In Genesis 1-3, right at the beginning of Scripture, it says, let there be light. And there was light. And God, it says there, God saw that the light was good. And so right from the beginning of Scripture, we see light as this prevalent Old Testament symbol for God's presence and renewal. And there's this contrast presented throughout the Old Testament to speak of those who are apart from God, opposed to his ways and and how they're in darkness, and God as the source of holiness, godliness, goodness, righteousness, and that's portrayed as light. And, And light is also the theme and that runs throughout John's gospel, right from the start, where from the opening of John 1, which is meant to echo Genesis 1, John's intention is for us to see Jesus for who he is. And so uh, behind me or, and on the screen at home, you'll see uh, John 1, 3 to 9. I'm not going to read it, but I just want to talk through those verses there in John 1, because from the very beginning, it says Jesus was the word. He was with God. He was God, it says there. And these, these, those words right there, that he was with God and was God, those words have been the source of much debate over the years. Massive church councils were gathered to debate the intricacies of this word when it comes to Jesus's humanity, Jesus's divinity. And what are the implications of this? They are powerful, powerful words. And it says there, through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made or nothing was created that has been made or has been created. Jesus is the source of all life, it says there. And this life, John says, is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. Or uh, you can also translate that has not overcome it. Has not overcome the light of Jesus. In verse 9 there in John 1, it says, Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. It's only through Jesus that we have life. Only. That's, this is how, this is uncompromising truth. And so we, we see that in John 1. And then we see, um, we'll come back to some other uh, areas in John where Jesus talks about light, but in John 8, 12, this is where we read, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so from these words, I see at least two questions that result and and are fairly clear, I think. And and then I believe that there's a clear appeal or command uh, as well here. So what, what does Jesus mean by this claim? That's, we need to look at that. Like, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Or we could ask, what is Jesus revealing in this claim to us? 
And the context is really, really important here because Jesus was saying this. He said this during the Feast of Tabernacles or uh, Hebrew, we know it as Sukkot. And, and so there was two main symbols of the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating God's provision for his people. It, it commemorated the provision of God for his people in the wilderness, how he led them. And it, cele- and, and it, it celebrates and, and, and it was required um, to recall this historical period, the, the, the people who were celebrating were required to recall what had happened by living during the feast in temporary structures of leaves and branches. So they actually would build themselves these kind of little structures. That's why it's also called the Feast of Booths. They'd live in these booths for, I think it was a, I don't know if it was the feast, the feast was a week or two. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It was at least a week. It might've actually even been two weeks. But a special feature of the feast was the water drawing and the lamp lighting rituals that were performed each day in the temple. And if you remember, the water drawing thing was when Jesus, earlier in John, talked about how he offered rivers of living water. So he was doing that at the same feast. And, and, he, and that if you follow the text in, in John, we're going on. And so the lighting of the lamps reminded the people of the pillar of fire that led them in the wilderness. They lit these. You can, we read about this in Nehemiah 9 where it says, you led them by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. Powerful. And so during the festival, these four golden lamps were lit in the temple amid great rejoicing. Like there was singing, there was celebration, there was music, there was dancing. It continued throughout the nights of the feast. I mean, we're talking a party, folks. Like it was a party. And I think Jesus was part of that party. He loved being there. So like, we want to celebrate, you want to dance when all these shenanigans that we're in right now are over. Maybe we're going to get together, we're going to celebrate, we're going to dance, we're going to have a big party. Does that sound good? I think Jesus would be like, yes, do it. But that's what was going on here in this Feast of Tabernacles. It was a party. And these lights coming forth from the temple, I mean, from what I understand, they must have been huge because they illuminated. They went out and illuminated the city. And it was like, it showed the people, remember when God led us with a pillar of fire. Remember how he led us in the way that we should go. And so Jesus, he's in the temple, it says, in John 8, 20. When he says these words, and the weight of Jesus' words, the weight of I am the light of the world, take on incredible significance in the light of what was happening around him. And like I said, when you follow the events through John 7, and you kind of follow through in, in John, we see that Jesus, he's saying these words right at the end of the feast. So the feast is about to culminate, it's about to close up, which means the lights would be extinguished, and people would see that. And Jesus makes this incredible seismic declaration. I am the true light of God, not just for Israel either but for the entire world. Like it would have, people around him would have been like, what are you saying, Jesus? Like, incredible. Now throughout the Old Testament, light is contrasted with darkness. As I said before, darkness representing all the ways that are opposed to God, 
But the promise of God's light is spoken again and again and again in the Old Testament. God's light will triumph over it and is symbolic of God's presence, his renewal coming with his people. And I'll just, I'll mention just a few examples. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That was a messianic prophecy. Isaiah 60 begins, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Again, it's, it's speaking of God's coming redemption there in Isaiah 60. Light is a metaphor consistently used in the Old Testament to speak to God's truth and its revelation in our lives. Psalm 119, 105, your, lamp, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Psalm 97, 11 says, light is sown for the righteous. Following God's ways leads us into light. And then in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty nine. David there, he's praying thanksgiving over God's deliverance from the hand of Saul. And he says, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. There's lots of darkness right now. Heaviness, right? There, there's this weight and, and that people feel. People feel beaten down. Now, yes, I think that we need perspective. In some respects, things could be way worse than they are. But there, there's a general feeling right now of just heaviness, weight, especially here, I think, right now in Manitoba. And, and there's this kind of, I, I get, like, there's these feelings right now of, like, who can we blame? I, yesterday, I had two separate people send me long um, videos. They said, you need to watch this. This explains everything that's going on right now. You need to watch this. One video was five hours long. You need to just watch this. You'll get everything that's going on in the world. I'm like, all right. No, I need Jesus. But there's this thing of like, who can we blame? Who can we rage against? How, who can we be upset with? Health officials? Our prime minister? Our premier? Like, let's, let's just let them have it. Let's, let's, like the vitriol online right now against our health officials, against our premier, it's just like, boom, boom, boom. Just let's, let's give it to them. God says, I will lighten your darkness. You feel heavy, it feels dark, look to the Lord. Don't take to Twitter, don't take to Facebook. Look to the Lord. Light is sowing for the righteous. Pursue righteousness and the promise is light is sowing for you. Jesus is revealing here, and John as well in, the, in his gospel here, because remember, John wrote this gospel to oppose heresy in the early church. That was the main reason why he wrote it. It's why it's, it feels so different from some of the other gospels. And so he wants us to see who Jesus is. He's saying this is of crucial importance, church, that you see who Jesus is. That's why he was writing it. I, like, I love that. Because John's like, I was with him. I know who he was. I am, what Jesus is saying here is, I am the fulfillment and culmination of God's promises for his people. I am the light for the entire world. I am the answer for everyone. I am the light of life for all people. And it's like he's saying, be awakened to my light. Be awakened. 
So that leads us to the second question. How will we respond to this light? (laughs) You know, despite the consequences of dads having to constantly turn off lights, the invention of the light bulb and electricity revolutionized the world. Like it changed society. The, The response to our fascination with light and all the ways that we love to showcase light, like it just continues. Like, like the amount of technology that keeps increasing with light. And you just think about like just the amount of light now that people have on their decks and their patios. Like it just, it keeps increasing all the time. We are fascinated. We enjoy and we appreciate light. But Jesus' claim about being the light for the entire world, it puts the most important question before us. How will we respond to this light? In John 3, and Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. It's it's just a fascinating, brilliant conversation. And he says to him there, he says, this light, the light has come into the world. And Jesus says, he says, darkness is a reality on this earth. It is present. People, he says, people actually love it. And the need in this world is clear. Jesus says, you need my light. You need this light. This, and this is the choice because he, what he says there in John 3 is you have a choice because if you are to come to this light, you will be exposed by this light. So we have to surrender ourselves to Jesus and this reveals where we're in need of transformation, where we're in need of healing, where we need the light to shine on us. See, because light by its very nature exposes what is hidden. In the dark, things can look a lot better than they actually are. In the dark, you can hide all sorts of things, right? You, you, you shine a light on something and I was like, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that dent there, but now that the light's there, I do. Light reveals reality. I opened up our curtains the other day in our bedroom and maybe we hadn't opened them in a few days and I was like, Oh, look at all the dust on that windowsill that I didn't realize was there. And it's like the light exposes it. Ever since the garden, the inclination of sin is to hide and to keep things hidden. This this is part of our sin DNA, I'll call it. It's wonderful of Jesus to speak of Jesus' light coming into the world, but it leaves us with a choice to present ourselves as we are and step into the light. And this takes courage. And, and, and far too often in our Christian culture, we conveniently kind of bypass the necessity of this. Oh, yeah, we can come to Jesus on our own terms. That's great. I'm going to receive Jesus. Except Jesus says, you must step into the light. And this isn't a one-time thing. This is an ongoing process. 1 John 1, 5 to 9 talks about that. It says that there's, that we, there's a constant choice to walk in the light. We either choose to walk in darkness or in the shadows. Maybe, right, like a little bit of light, but just a little bit of the shadows too. Or we choose to walk in openness to the Lord. We do this by walking in humility and surrender with others. Says there, John talks about confession of sin. And, And the battle, it's real, it's constant. 
right? There's this, there's this internal battle that we all feel, this push and pull to, to walk in deception and to keep things hidden, to tell sort of half-truths, to kind of leave that part out or leave this part out, don't really want to go there. We, we, we battle to strive to be transparent and, and to be honest. And I think one of the reasons is because it requires constant humility, it's just, you have to actually humble yourself, right? Like when, you, when you have to admit something to someone, inherent in that is you have to humble yourself. And Jesus says in John 3, by refusing his light, and it's possible to refuse it, individuals face the deepening of the condemnation already hanging over them. The condemnation is a reality. It's there. It's within our sinful DNA, right? Romans 8, what does it say? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? The condemnation's there if you're not in Christ. It's there because of sin, guilt, shame, avoidance, etc., and, and Jesus, he says, the danger's real. John 11, he's talking, once again, talking about light. And he says, if you choose to walk in the darkness, he says, you will stumble. Why? Well, because darkness brings lack of light and presents danger. So this week, we had three nights of frost. I was getting sick and tired of every night having to cover all of our plants. Thought we were past that. And so I like, had, like, um, felt like a million blankets and had to go out. And I thought, the first time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get smart this year. I'm going to, like, take off our tomato cages and lay them down so that I don't have to, like, you know, use, use more blanket when you have to hang them over the tomato cages. So I, I, I took them out. thought, well, because I, I knew we had multiple nights, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get ahead of this. And, of course, I'm doing this kind of as it's getting dark, and I lay the tomato cages down the grass. And what do I end up doing? I almost end up falling on my face over these stupid tomato cages because those things are so blinking hard to see in, in lack of light. And so I'm tri- like, I, if someone had seen me, I'm tripping all over the place, almost like flailing. And I'm like, oh. And see, it's in lack of light that you stumble. Anyone there with me about tomato cages? Like they're, those things are just terrible when you, <laughs> when you hit them. Jesus says that actually darkness will overtake you. That the one who walks in darkness because they actually don't know where they're going. And he says that in John 11. He says Dar- the darkness will actually overcome you. So all this, this is not, I've come to Jesus, I've received the light, this doesn't apply to me. Like, I, I hope we're not doing that, that we're not shutting off and going, well, I've, if I've received Jesus and I've come to him, then this is for those who haven't. No, 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 no. Walking in the light is a constant and intentional pursuit of Jesus and getting the residue of sin in our lives into the light, getting free and keeping clean. Walking in the light is actually the natural and desirable behavior for those following the way of Jesus. John 12, 46, Jesus says, whoever believes in me should not remain in darkness. So belief in Jesus is following the way of Jesus. It's, it's this ongoing choice to follow Jesus's way. And that's how we banish the darkness in our lives and from our lives.
First John 2, John again, he goes into, after talking about darkness and, and getting stuff into the light in 1 John 1, he gets into relationships. And he says, when you harbor offense and bitterness towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, when you walk in deception and you speak badly of others when they're not present, when you make accusations, when you make subtle digs and insinuate things about others, when you make assumptions and judgments, when you don't know things, you're walking in darkness. Darkness can blind us and deceive us. That was what John was getting at in 1 John 2. Or we choose to come into the light and walk in the light. And this brings us to a a clear appeal or or command, if you will. And that is, I, I think, and again, this is looking at scripture more just outside of what the New Testament says, but it says, it's let this light shine through you. We sang about it this morning, right? Shine, Jesus, shine. Let your light fill this land. Like, like that, that is, I don't know, we're singing that song again. Jen, and I'm like, I know that song is, I don't know, over 30 years old. I remember singing as a kid and I'm like, it is profoundly, profoundly relevant right now. Like as we're saying, I'm like, this, this is what we need. I need to declare this to myself and, I, and if there's this declaration over our culture right now. And then I was like, we need to get the March for Jesus back in our streets. <laughs> so that's, I, was, I, I had that thought as we were singing. I'm like, we need the March for Jesus. I'm like, who's with me? Let's, let's get it going. Do we need to call it a protest? Whatever. Following Jesus is to walk in his light. Right? Following Jesus is to walk in his light. Jesus speaks of believing in his light so that we may become sons or children of light. Colossians 1-2, like it's just, or sorry, 1-12. It's all throughout the New Testament. It talks there in Colossians 1. We have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. 1 Thessalonians 5 calls us again, children of light. 1 Peter 2, I read that this morning in worship. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. The apostles, they they pick up this up throughout their, their writings in the New Testament, that this light of God that has come through Jesus and his followers now shine this light to the world around them. It came through Jesus. It now radiates through us as his people on this earth. That is an incredible thought. It's an incredible challenge too. Matthew 5, Jesus says there, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So we we have a responsibility. We have a calling to live as children of light. Philippians 2.15. I know I'm throwing a lot of scriptures out, but I think it's okay because I think just want to get the sort of the, the, the theme of light, which is all over scripture and in the New Testament. Philippians 2.15. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You know, that's every generation apart from Christ. That's not one particular, like, oh yeah, we're more in that than others. That's, that's every generation apart from Christ. They're in darkness. In the midst of that, 
as children of God, shine as lights in the world, it says there. Ephesians 5 talks about walk or live as children of light, right? It's, it, what does it say there? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Just this thing of, of walk in the light. So I was looking, I was looking, I was kind of just going through a lot of these New Testament scriptures, kind of looking at what it said. And then I was like, so what, what are the characteristics that are to define us as children of light around these verses where, where it speaks of us being in the light, children of light. And, and I'm sure you could, you know, you could do a lot of exegesis on this, but I just, I pulled out a few quickly. Characteristics, giving thanks to the Father, growing in our knowledge of God, encouraging and building one another up, loving one another, not engaging in grumbling or strife. What if we committed in these days, in the midst of hard things right now? Yes, not easy at all. Encouraging and building one another up. Loving one another, not engaging in grumbling or strife. Giving thanks to the Father. Living in gratitude and thankfulness. So, I want to just uh, maybe go here. I might want to go here in fact. Because the response to Jesus' declaration in John 12, that he is the light of the world, was not positive. When, when he said this, um, right away, <laughs> it, uh, the Pharisees challenged him, it says, very next verse. Oh, lo and behold, right? You're at this festival feast of tabernacles, light everywhere. And Jesus is like, oh, I'm, I'm the light of the world, guys. They're like, what? And they challenge him. And they, the, his credibility was challenged because they tried to catch Jesus in his previous words where he had earlier, he had said, if I, test him, if, I, if I testify about myself, he says, my testimony is not valid. I think he said that in John 5. So he said, they quote those words back to him basically. And they're like, you're appearing as your own witness. You're a quack, Jesus. That's basically what they're saying. Like, like get out of here. You're a quack. And Jesus says, even alone, he says, my testimony would stand, but he says, I stand with the Father who sent me. So this is, this is one of those instances where if we're reading this, he's posing a very simple decision to us. It's really simple. Will you believe me? Do you believe that I am who I say I am? This is an uncompromising claim by Jesus. He doesn't try to prove. He just says, this is the way it is. And, you know, it's like earlier where, when he had said those words about, you know, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and a bunch of them are like, we, we, can't, we can't deal with this. We're, we're out of here. And Jesus didn't, like, he didn't try to, oh, let, let me explain. Let me explain. I, this is what I, he, didn't, he didn't even try to do that. It's like, okay, you know what? I, I'm, this is uncompromising truth. So think about this. In a pluralistic society that we live in, where it's your truth, it's my truth, and my truth matters, and you're okay with your truth, but don't tell me that that's truth, right, et cetera, et cetera. So Jesus, sure, Jesus has something to offer. Yeah, yeah, maybe, sure, yeah. But so does Muhammad, so does Buddha, you know, so do the Hindu scriptures, you know, indigenous spirituality, yeah, let's welcome that in. This is, it's all good, let's, let's mix it, let's take what we like, and, you know, my truth, your truth. But exclusivity? Mm-mm. no. You cannot claim exclusivity. 
It's inclusive. We need to not simply accept anymore, they say, but you have to celebrate all forms of belief and lifestyles. You can't just, it's not even okay if like you just, we live together. No, you need to celebrate what I believe. One of our, our girls, she brought home a book this week from school and she didn't realize what she was taking out. And uh, she, took, she brought it out of her bag and thankfully I was right there and it says, the front cover, big book says, woke. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It says, hey, can I, can I see that book? I just, I just want to look it over before you read it. And she's like, why? She's like, I didn't really even want to take this book. She's like, I didn't realize it was this. She's like, I thought it was something else. Well, that's okay. So I looked through it, and there's a lot of poems about social issues in it, and, and stuff that I'm like, yeah, that's good, like racial reconciliation and other stuff. And I'm like, that's good. But then there was one page on gender and talks about look at the rainbow. Look at the rainbow. All the different colors in the rainbow. All the hues in the rainbow. Just look at it. And how can we only say that there's two colors, boy and girl? And I'm like, oh. And then it says this, the truth is that there are many shades between boy and girl. We don't have to choose. We can just be. That is darkness masquerading as light. Complex issue, yes. Absolutely. Do we need to think through it? Yes, we do actually. The need for critical thinking is huge and it's necessary. But we cannot compromise that there is only one hope for this earth. Jesus says there is one hope, one person. I am the light of the world. Jesus' claim is absolutely exclusive. Isaiah 60, I, I referenced that before. It continues. It says, see darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. Oh man, do we need Jesus. Like we need Jesus so badly. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. If you, if you hear echoes in there of Revelation, you're right. Revelation 21, 23. The city of God will need no sun or moon. It says the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. The light of the city is Jesus. And it goes on there, it says, by its light, nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There will be no night there. There will be no darkness. Zechariah 14, really interesting chapter. It, it was actually possibly, they think it might have been read actually during the Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus was there. And it spoke of the coming day of the Lord and it specifically mentions that feast. So that's why they think it probably was read by the people. And it says there in Zechariah, it will be a unique day. This day that's coming, a day known only to the Lord with no distinction between day and night. And then it says, when evening comes, there will be light. When the nations will gather to battle against Jerusalem. That's what it speaks of there. This day, that day is still coming. We just, we saw a little reverberation of that lately. We saw a little bit of that happening in Jerusalem. That, that anger and what happened there with Gaza. 
There's a lot more coming. That day is coming yet where the nations will gather against Jerusalem. This is where history is heading. And it, and it leaves us with a question. Are you following Jesus? Zechariah 14.9, brilliant, wonderful verse. It says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. That, that, that passage calls us to live lives of worship. And so if we're not worshiping God with our lives now, what makes us think that we are suddenly going to be led to worship when the days get darker? Now, you know, you could maybe, there might be an easy rebuttal here. Some people think it's an easy rebuttal. Like, so what if Jesus said all this, Paul? So what? Maybe he was just a first century head case. Like maybe, maybe Jesus was a quack who just said a lot of crazy off the wall things that people believed. Why bother with Jesus? Like we don't see him. Look, look at what's going on in the world. Look, look, look at the chaos. Look at all the tumult. Why, why bother with Jesus? That's a question of incredible significance. It's good to wrestle with that. It's good to think about that. And I would say, well, again, going back to, let's look at the claim of Jesus' resurrection because it changes everything. Jesus was raised from the dead. Also, the work of the Holy Spirit who makes God's light shine in our hearts. And it says that we are awakened to the glory of God in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about that. There is something that happens in our hearts where we know that God is real. And the Holy Spirit shines into our hearts and we know that Jesus was who he said he was. It's faith. It's faith. It begins with coming to Jesus and inviting him into your life and then following his way and asking him to reveal himself to you probably the simplest prayer that we can pray. Jesus, please reveal yourself to me. I really need you. Please reveal yourself. Please show yourself to me. I want to know that you're real. So I want to invite you to pray with that with me this morning as we conclude. Jesus, we thank you and we receive you as the light of the world. Thank you that you chose to reveal yourself in this way. And we're grateful that your spirit shines the light of this knowledge and truth into our hearts and we see the glory of God in your face. And we, like those people that Peter wrote to, even though we don't see you right now, we love you. And we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Jesus, we invite you into our lives. We invite you to have your way. We invite you to do your work in us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you take away our sins. When we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
and we repent. We repent and we confess that we have sinned and that our sin separates us from you, God. But you welcome us and you invite us in to receive Jesus and to be cleansed and forgiven. And you call us children of light, your children, children of God. And we receive that this morning. So we end, I just, I want to just also give us some questions for application. I think that how we go away and how we apply messages and how we work these things out in our lives is actually really crucial. So we don't just ingest and we don't just look in the mirror and not actually do anything with it. And so I want to give you four questions for application. They'll be behind me. Number one, how am I cultivating surrender and humility in my life? Where are there areas of darkness in my life that I need to bring into the light? Do I practice confession, repentance, and accountability in my life? And the follow-up question of that's really important with whom? You have to have an action plan. If you don't have an action plan for how you're going to do that, how, who you do that with, you won't, you won't actually do it. Number four, where can I cultivate gratitude and specifically encourage someone else this week? It's a great way to put this into practice this week. How can we encourage one another? All right, we're going to worship. You guys ready to go? Good. Amen. Bless you, everyone.